Once you start looking for it, you find waiting everywhere in the Bible. Some of you know that we've just begun a Bible study on that topic in our congregation. It's a subject that, for obvious reasons, keeps coming up in conversation these days. So a few of us came up with the idea of looking at several stories of people waiting in Scripture and laying those alongside our own experience right now. And once you start looking for it, you find waiting everywhere. Whether it's Abraham and Sarah waiting for God to make good on the promise of a child, or the Israelites waiting for Moses to come back down from his marathon meeting with God up on the mountain, or the disciples waiting for something, anything, to happen in the days after Easter, or the whole blooming creation waiting for the fulfillment of God's reign of justice and peace. Waiting is woven deep into the fabric of our faith. That doesn't mean we always know how to handle it, of course. In the Bible study this last week, in the the section that I led, we talked about Noah's long wait, particularly from the time when God first approached him about building an enormous boat to the time when the rains actually started to fall. We imagine that was probably a period of several years, a long time to sit with the news of that impending disaster and wonder if you heard that message right. And in my group, at least, we seem to arrive at a consensus that it was probably good for Noah that he had something to do while he waited, something clear and productive. Get up in the morning, get out the toolbox again, and go work on that crazy boat for another day. Lay a few more planks, get started on the next level. The work didn't give him all the answers, but at least it was something to do, a place where he knew to direct his focus and his energy. So often when we're waiting, we don't actually know what to do with ourselves. We don't know where to put our energy or our attention. We worry and we fret and we toss and we turn and pace. We know it doesn't seem to help anything, but we do it anyway. And in this time of so much waiting in which we find ourselves right now, for more information, for a clear path ahead, for a safe and effective vaccine to be widely available, for the opportunity to start gathering again, I think we often feel that way, at a loss for something productive to do. Like it would be really nice to just have some instructions from God, something that we could work on. Well, welcome to Matthew 25. I'm telling you, when you start looking for it, you see waiting everywhere, and that's what I see all through this chapter right now. It's Jesus's final series of teachings before his betrayal and death, And it's all about the in-between time that's about to begin for his disciples and stretch on for centuries, including our own, the time between Jesus' resurrection and his promised return. This chapter has stories about bridesmaids waiting for a bridegroom to arrive and slaves waiting for their master to return. And then it all concludes with that reading that we just heard today about Jesus finally returning in judgment. Now, you all know this story. You just heard it read. You know the criteria that Jesus finally sets here for separating the righteous from the unrighteous, the sheep 
from the goats. But just try to set that aside for a moment and imagine all the other criteria that might have showed up here instead. I mean, Jesus could have said, on my right hand will be all those who got their confession of faith right, who learned enough theology. Or on my right hand will be those whose eyelids never got droopy, who kept awake and watched particularly diligently for my return. Or on my right hand will be those who never doubted, who never questioned their faith. Or on my right hand will be those who walked the straight and narrow path, who never messed up or took a wrong turn. There are so many different criteria we could finally imagine here, but Jesus names only one. On my right hand will be those who served the least, and in doing so served me. It's not exactly the equivalent of God giving Noah blueprints for the ark, but it's not that far off. It is, in fact, a set of instructions for what Jesus' followers are to be about in the meantime, while they wait. And they couldn't be clearer. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Welcome the stranger. Clothe the naked. Visit the sick. Care for those in prison. Have you been about these things? The parable asks. Have you been tending to these cries? because that's what finally matters. So there you go. We do, it turns out, have something to work on, something to keep us busy while we wait, in this time like in any other. The problem, I think, is we might wish for a different set of instructions sometimes, one that asks a little bit less from us. Like, be nice to your friends and family, or take care of your fellow church members or serve those who seem particularly deserving of your attention. All those are fine things, of course, but Jesus asks much more. He draws none of those limits, in fact, on who we are to serve. It's not just people close to us, or who share our beliefs, or who strike us as particularly likable or worthy. No, it's simply the vulnerable, those in need, those who suffer. There is an immense demand placed on us here, a word of judgment that ought to make us uncomfortable. If you are not squirming a little bit in your seat when you hear this parable, then I'm afraid you might not be hearing it right. Because we have our instructions for the waiting time, and they are far from easy. This parable clearly means to unsettle us, and also to set us to work, feeding and clothing and welcoming. I think it means to do something else besides, and that's to usher us into a new way of seeing. I'm reading a wonderful new book right now called See No Stranger. It's sort of a combination memoir and manifesto by Valerie Carr, an American activist and filmmaker. Throughout the book, she draws heavily on her own faith as a Sikh, showing how her religion informs her commitment to seeking a more just and inclusive society. And right at the start of the book, she shares where this title comes from. Guru Nanak, the founder of Sikhism, said that it was possible to see no stranger, to see the interconnectedness of all people and all life, to look into the face of anyone around us and say, you are a part of me I do not yet know.
She acknowledges that this goes profoundly against our instincts, which are to divide the world into us and them, into ones who are like us and ones who are different, into ones who are deserving of our care and attention and ones who are beyond it. And she offers this as a practice to counter that instinct. Try wondering about others. As I move through my day and come across faces on the street or the subway or on a screen, she writes, I say in my mind, sister, brother, sibling, aunt, uncle. I start to wonder about each of them as a person. When I do this, I'm retraining my mind to see more and more kinds of people as part of us rather than them. I say in my mind, you are a part of me. I do not yet know. I practice orienting myself to the world with wonder, preparing myself for the possibility of connection. I find that so moving and so simple and so close to what Jesus seems to be directing us to do here to see those around us as part of us, to say to ourselves when confronted with another, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, Christ. That's the task we're given as followers of Jesus, to live as though Christ is not off in some faraway heaven and not just among those we naturally like or understand, but present in everyone we meet, especially in the most vulnerable to live as though no one is a stranger, as though everyone is a child of God, one in whom we might encounter Jesus himself. We are still in this long season of waiting right now, and I know we can find ourselves fretting, worrying, wishing we knew more what to do. Here's what I keep being reminded of right now. Waiting has always been part of being a person of faith. The times and the seasons have always been a mystery. There is much that we don't know. But we're not left aimless. We do have our instructions while we wait. We might wish God had given us blueprints for a boat instead. That sounds a lot more manageable sometimes than looking for Jesus in everybody that we meet. But friends, this is it. This is the task given to us in the meantime to feed, to welcome, to clothe, to care, to practice treating those in need as though we see Christ in them, even when that seeing doesn't come naturally. The church year ends here today with the stark reminder that this is finally what it comes down to. This is what following Jesus means in every season, including this one. It's not easy, it's not comfortable, but it is good work. And even in this strange time, we are about it together, supporting one another, challenging one another, calling one another into this way of seeing and living. Let's keep it up. And may we keep bumping into Jesus as we go. Thanks be to God. Amen.